Well, about three months ago, we started our teaching series on the Holy Spirit. Hard to believe. In June, we started off by saying that the Holy Spirit is really the, the member of the Trinity, which is the forgotten God. You know, those of us who have not been part of the charismatic tradition, we tend to de-emphasize the Holy Spirit. seems like we never pray to Him. We're always the Heavenly Father or Lord Jesus, but seldom is it Holy Spirit, you know. And, and so we wanted to raise our awareness, heighten our awareness of what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit and the vital role and ministry that He plays in our life. And so we launched that series. Week two, we talked about uh, his ministry of convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and all that that means. Week three was Father's Day, and so we talked about how God is the God of the fatherless and how he accomplishes that um, primarily through the role of the Holy Spirit that allows his presence and power to be felt among all believers so that we never feel forsaken or abandoned, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, that he never leaves us. Week four, we talked about the Spirit's role in drawing us to God and the vital role that he plays in salvation. Jesus says no one comes to the Father unless the Father calls him or woos him. And the Holy Spirit is continually drawing us and wooing us to the Father's side and all that that means. On July 1st, Joe Dilbeck, uh, one of our former elders who helps us run sound, talked about our need for the Holy Spirit both individually and nationally to bring healing and to guide us as, as a people, as a nation, and to heal the things that are broken. On the 8th of July, Wren spoke about the indwelling presence of the Spirit, how it is God who is at work in us, both the will and to work for His good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. Tabin spoke on week 7 about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, that we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed from glory to glory, even by the Spirit. Then on uh, week eight, Wren elaborated on the Spirit's role in blessing us with spiritual gifts, all of the varied gifts that the Bible talks about and how God equips each one of us as the body to not have all the same gifts, but to complement each other and to depend upon each other and to work together as a team, as a unit. On the fifth, I spoke about the assurance of the Holy Spirit, We talked about blessed assurance, that great old hymn, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And oh, what a blessed reality that that is, how the spirit gives us confidence and assurance that we are his, that he has loved us unconditionally, that he paid the price for our salvation. In week 10, we talked about the spirit's role in prayer and intercession. And how it is the Spirit who groans with groans too deep for words beyond human articulation and understanding to intercede for us to the Father. But the Spirit not only does that for us, but wants to do that through us as we intercede for our family and friends and community and the world. Week number 11, we talked about the Spirit's role in comforting us. And we highlighted the fact that although we think of Comfort almost exclusively is consolation and kind of a shoulder to cry on, how the Latin root for that means to fortify, to make strong, to be bold and courageous, and how the Spirit emboldens us to testify about God and to stand firm in our faith 
and resist Satan and his schemes and spiritual warfare and everything else. Finally, last week we talked about the Spirit's ability to empower us. How God not only calls us, but also equips us to everything that he's called us to do. And today we want to finish our series by talking about the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, there was a lot going on this week and outlines didn't get printed. The staff and I and elders and deacons were on a retreat this week. Had a four-hour retreat down at Faria Beach and we talked about vision and strategy according to our mission that's hanging boldly in the lobby. If you haven't seen that, check that out. That's what we're all about as a church, inviting people to follow Jesus as we impact our community and world. We're going to talk more about that next week and kind of flesh that out. But we were talking about how do we as leaders strategize to make that happen? How do we all get on the same page in alignment every year to fine-tune that and to make sure that we're, we're doing that and faithful to that? So there's not an outline, but you can take notes on a piece of paper or mentally, and then also you can go to the website through your phone or computer and access this later and, and print stuff there, so just to let you know. I want to begin today by suggesting that the, the Spirit leads and guides us to first and foremost know God's will. Spirit leads us and guides us to first and foremost know God's will. In the Gospel of John, chapters 14 to 17, these are commonly referred to as the upper room discourse. It's where Jesus gathered with his disciples before he went to the cross. They shared a meal together there. They had communion together there. A lot went on there. And Interestingly enough, all of our three points today are drawn from these chapters and some of the teaching that he shared with his disciples and friends right before he left this earth. So very meaningful stuff. After they had eaten a meal together, Jesus arose from the table and grabbed a towel and tied it around his waist and shocked all of them by taking the role of a servant and one by one going around to each of them and washing their feet at this point, he had their undivided attention. They're like, wow, this, what, what's going on? And that's when he shared his heart about what lied ahead, all that he hoped and prayed for them and was asking the Father on their behalf. And he talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. He said many times, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, I will ask for a helper. The Greek word for that is, is, literally means one called alongside. And a few weeks ago, I shared about some translators in Africa that were trying to translate this word for the Holy Spirit in, in a dialect a, a dialect that this tribe could understand. And they were at a loss for how to do that. And then they noticed one day as, as people were working out in the field, there was one person who seemed to not have a role and was constantly running around. And, and they seemed to be a supervisor, but then they noticed as these People would carry these heavy loads. Every once in a while, they would fall. They would trip or they would collapse from exhaustion. And it was the role of this person to come alongside of them and pick up their load and carry it for them until they were healed or had renewed strength and they could carry it once again. And that's when they realized that's our word. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does for believers. And so they chose that term to translate that aspect of the Holy Spirit in Scripture for, for this African tribe. God is indeed the God who comes alongside of us, and He empowers us and equips us to know God's will. Well, after Jesus had 
washed their feet and shared that meal together, he said this in John 16. He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I love the fact that God never overloads us with stuff. He understands where we're at. And he knew that the disciples' hearts were heavy because he had said, I'm going to be beaten and scourged and I'm going to be nailed to a cross and I'm going to die. And they were just like, their heads were swimming. And so he said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but he will... uh, Speak whatever he hears, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Don't worry about the days ahead, because I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send part of the Godhead to be with you. Not just to rest upon you for leadership or ministry, but to actually indwell you and guide you in truth. Jesus assured his friends that the Spirit would come to them and not only help them discern the Father's will, but also guide them in all truth. You know, there are some things that the Bible doesn't specifically address. Like, I remember when I was um, thinking about marriage. It's not like I could turn to 2 Timothy 3.3 and read, Mary Denise. You know, it wasn't there. But you seek God's will, you read His Word, you pray, you talk to people that you respect and look up to, and, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to, to shed God's light and truth upon our lives and to help us to appropriate that. And that's really what we're talking about today. The Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John, the, the Apostle John repeatedly refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Many, many times. John fourteen sixteen, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. John 15, when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And then even in his letter, 1 John 5, 6, he says, the Spirit is the truth. It makes sense that the Spirit is the truth because God is truth. His Word is truth because it comes forth from Him. It is literally God-breathed. That's what we believe Scripture to be. That men inspired by God through the Holy Spirit penned the words of God as He gave those to them and breathed that. And so we can always be assured that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us according to the truth of God's Word because the Spirit is truth. He will not lead us astray. Before Jesus left this earth, He prayed that the Father would sanctify us, that he would make us holy, that he would cleanse us through the word of God, through scripture. John seventeen seventeen, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's part of the job of the spirit in revealing God's truth to us as we read the pages of scripture and seeing how it applies and how we're convicted and the things that need to be changed in our life and, and make adjustments And God cleanses us and renews us and transforms us and inspires us through His truth. And I think it's important for us to understand that truth is not some independent entity that exists apart from God. Truth is God. It's His very essence. It's His very nature, His character. 
There is no truth apart from God. And His will is revealed in His Word and Scripture. As we follow and obey His commands and His Word, it draws us into deeper relationship with Him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of this relates to the truth of who He is, and what He expects of us, and desires for us to be. I read an amazing quote this week from Margaret Thatcher, former Prime Minister of England. She said, when Christians meet, their purpose is not, or should not be, to ascertain what is the mind of the majority, but rather what is the mind of the Holy Spirit, something which may be quite different. I love that, coming from a politician, that the goal when Christians meet is not to hold a finger up and say, which way is the wind blowing, what's the majority opinion or thought here, so I can fit in with that, but the goal of Believers is to constantly discern what the, what the will and the mind of God is. That we might be aware of that and do that. And the Holy Spirit is the one that makes that happen. Back in Romans 8, that chapter that we looked at when we talked about the intercession of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Right after that in verse 27, it says, And he who searches the hearts, meaning God who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I love that. God knows the mind of the Spirit because it's His mind. He knows His own thoughts. And the Spirit intercedes for us according to those thoughts and according to the will of God. It's that perfect marriage of everything that we could hope for and what we're not able to do for ourselves. The Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. So we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit of God does and intercedes for us according to the mind and the will of God. I love that, that contrast and that completion that the Holy Spirit brings about. The Spirit helps us to discern God's will and intercedes for us according to God's will. Well, secondly, the Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us to remember all that Christ has taught us, all that Christ has spoken to us and all that he has taught us. John fourteen twenty six says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring to our memory, our remembrance, all that Jesus said and taught, so that we don't forget that. This means that the Spirit aligns the truth of Scripture with the the details of our life and helps us to make decisions, helps us to know what we should do. The Spirit specifically addresses the challenges that we face with solutions that God has provided in His Word. I love that. I was reading the the beginning of the Gospel of Luke the other day, and I was reminded of the meticulous detail that Luke uh, went to as as a writer in order to, to record accuracy for us. Listen to what he says in Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke, he's writing to a government uh, uh, official named Theophilus. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, meaning the disciples and Jesus 
in the ministry, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. I love that, that when we read Scripture, we're not, we're not basing our life on some vague recollection or account of things that Jesus might have done. This is the Word of God. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. It's complete truth. And it's, it's completely accurate so that we can have confidence and boldness in knowing God and knowing what He expects of us. And Luke says that, that was important to me. And it's the Holy Spirit's ministry and job to take the truth of Scripture and make it applicable in our lives, to bring it to our remembrance at those, at those moments and times when we need it most, to empower us to be able to live the life that God's called us to live. I was reading this week that during the 2008 presidential race, John McCain was asked by Time Magazine to share his personal journey of faith. And in an article, McCain shared a powerful story of something that had occurred while he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He said, when I was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, many captors would tie my arms behind my back and then loop the rope around my neck and ankles so that my head was pulled down between my knees. I was often left like that throughout the night. One night, a guard came into my cell. He put his finger to his lips, signaling for me to be quiet. And then he loosened my ropes to relieve my pain. The next morning when the shift ended, the guard returned and retightened the ropes, never saying a word to me. A month or so later on Christmas Day, I was standing in the dirt courtyard when I saw that same guard approach me. He walked up and stood silently next to me, not looking or smiling at me. And then he used his sandaled foot to draw a cross in the dirt. We stood wordlessly looking at that cross, remembering the true light of Christmas, even in the darkness of a Vietnamese prison camp. I love that story and was reminded this week that, you know, God is not limited in his ability to bring to our remembrance exactly what needs to be brought to our remembrance at exactly those moments when we need it most, when we've gone through a hard time or a tragedy or some challenge where we need to be reminded of the truth of Scripture or the words of Jesus or the love of our brothers and sisters as they rally around us to support us. And I I love in the accounts that we have in the Gospels, one of my favorite chapters is Luke 24. Luke 24 not only has the resurrection account, but then later it talks about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that were walking with Jesus and they didn't even know it was him after his resurrection and how Jesus took them through the scriptures from the beginning to the end. I love that God's word is always recording from the beginning to the end, the complete account and how their eyes were opened as he broke the bread and blessed it, and then he vanished from their sight. But listen to how Luke 24 begins with the women going to the tomb. It says, On the first day of the week at early dawn, the women came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two angels suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the angels said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And here's the... And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. There's that scene in the Gospels... John chapter 2 records it when Jesus is sparring with the religious leaders. And he points to the temple and he says, see this temple? I'm going to destroy it and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And they say, you're nuts. You're a lunatic. It took over 40 years to build that thing and you're going to, you're going to tear it down and rebuild it in three days? Well, after Jesus died and rose again, his disciples remembered that conversation. And the light finally came on. They're like, I get it now. He was talking about his body. His body would be destroyed in three days, be in a tomb, and then it would rise up to restoration and beauty. And the temple was an image of that. I get it. So the Spirit was constantly taking words that Jesus had spoken and things that he had taught and bringing it to the remembrance so they might not forget the truth that God wanted them to know. Well, the final point this morning is that the Spirit of God guides us and leads us to testify and share about God. And it seems like that's been a third point of a lot of our sermons. And the reality is that the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to God, to testify about God. And so God receives glory when we proclaim that same message of salvation and God's goodness. And we're called to do that. Jesus said in John 15 verse 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. We will proclaim that same message. You notice how he keeps saying from the beginning, from the beginning, how Luke said that, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, And just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Think about the importance of that. Think think about if you're at a trial and you're in court and somebody goes up to the witness stand and they say, well, for the last year I've known this person and they've, they've been amazing. And then somebody else gets up and says, well, that's nice that, but I've known them for the 20 years preceding that and I can say this, this, and this about them. And that first person's testimony is invalidated and just thrown out because they've only known him for a year. Scripture is constantly assuring us that the record that we have is written by people that were eyewitnesses. They were there from the beginning. They saw everything. And I love that Luke, when he gives us his account, he says it's comprehensive, it's complete, and it's consecutive. It's comprehensive, meaning I wrote from beginning to end. It's complete. Every detail is there. Nothing is left out. And it's consecutive. It's in order. It's not random and happenstance, but I wrote my gospel in consecutive order so that you might know what preceded things and what followed things in exact order. And all of that leads to us having confidence that 
the written record for us is the inspired Word of God. Trustworthy, reliable, something we can base our lives upon. Well, when the Holy Spirit, when, it's, when Jesus said the Holy Spirit would testify about God and about Himself and also would guide us in our testimony about Jesus, that word in the Greek literally means to bear witness. It means to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something. And so as I was saying, like even last week, every time we share our testimony, we are bearing witness to the goodness of God, the grace of God in our lives. We are proclaiming to others what He has done and not forgetting that. I love the passages of Scripture that remind us that even in times of testing and tribulation, it is God who gives us the words to say. Listen to Matthew 10, starting in verse 17. It says, But be aware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts, and they will whip you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Power. I love that. The Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance all that Jesus said and did and taught. And even in our hour of testing and tribulation, will give us the exact words. And even, he says, how. The manner in which we deliver those words in that time of testing, in order to bring glory to God and to represent Him, to be His ambassadors. I love that. And notice how in the passage, what we view as a trial and as a persecution or persecuting experience is really just an opportunity to testify about God to an audience that He has assembled for that very purpose. So we're like, God, why did you drag me into this? This is horrible. I'm being whipped. I'm being tried. And this isn't what I signed up for. And he's like, what's the greater good? The greater good is you're going to testify about my glory to those who don't know me, to those who haven't heard about me. You're going to proclaim that truth. Well, there's a number of roles that we've studied of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, every time the goal is to bring glory to God. That's what the Spirit does, to bring glory to the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we close today, you know, many of us have heard that popular catchphrase that knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And the more in, enlightened we are and the more knowledge we gain, the more powerful and independent and successful we'll be. But we never really pause or stop to consider and reflect upon the fact that not all knowledge is good knowledge. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. That was a serpent's deception and lie. Eat of this fruit that is forbidden, and you will be like God, knowing things that you don't know right now. And that was true, but the knowledge that they gained was knowledge of evil. And as I've said so many times, what a blessing it would be to live in a state where you and I could not even comprehend of sin and of evil. That was not even in, on our radar or within our capability. That's what Adam and Eve learned is how to be sinful, how to be rebellious, how to disobey God, how to be outside of his will. And ever since then, we've been suffering the consequences. So not all knowledge is helpful, but many times it's destructive. Many times it leads to terrible temptation. 
But the knowledge of God's truth always brings life and always brings healing and always brings benefits to each and every one of us. That's why Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is liberating because it's not just abstract, abstract truth that we latch on to. The truth is an extension of God himself and is backed by the power of God and it's revealed in his word. Truth is the core, the foundation of all that we learn as Christians. God is truth. His spirit is truth. His word is truth. And he promises to guide us in this truth and to teach us this truth so that we might know his will, so that we might remember all that Jesus said and taught us, and so that we might testify and proclaim that to those who haven't heard